Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. Another sponsor of the program is Lee's Tees. He uses high-quality t-shirts, and the designs and the colors are crisp. He has a graphic artist on the payroll uh, who can design pretty much anything that you want to have on a t-shirt. So if you're a comedian or you're doing a family reunion or some kind of fundraising thing and you need t-shirts, go to leestees.com. That's L-E-E-S-T-E-E-Z.com. And our last sponsor is KB Remodeling, Inc., Kevin Brown is the owner of his company. He uh, is an amazing whiz with pretty much any repair that you need around your house, uh, whether it's cement or kitchen remodel, bathroom remodel, floors, fences, sheetrocking, you name it, this guy can do it. So if you live in the Minneapolis area and you need any work done around your house, please check out kbremodelinginc.com. This is Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast with Mark Poulos. I'm coming home 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 Coming home Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. I am Mark Poulos, and this is The Ride Home. So it is Sunday. I <clears throat> just completed a week of shows at one of my favorite clubs, Dr. Grins in Grand Rapids. Um, it's a fun place, man. It's an interesting club because, like many comedy clubs nowadays, they find themselves tucked away in a mall-type atmosphere amongst a lot of other entertainment choices. And uh, this one is, it's in a building with five other things going on. There's like a restaurant, a dance club, uh, like a dueling pianos bar, and like a VIP, like exclusive nightclub. It's, uh, it's an interesting complex right downtown in the heart of uh, Grand Rapids. It's called The Bob. And uh, Dr. Grin sits on the fourth or on the third floor of the building. And uh, it's always an interesting time because for whatever reason, like I do a ton of shows in Michigan. I do shows in, in Lansing and Ann Arbor and um, Detroit. A ton of small town shows. But I don't know what it is about Grand Rapids, but that club attracts, um, like at the early shows, it's kind of like an upscale kind of crowd, like a, a golf course type sophistication to the crowd. And then it's so funny because on Friday and Saturdays when they do the late shows, it's almost polar opposite. Like the late shows there are just a bunch of bachelorette parties and meatheads that are all drunker and shit kind of biding their time till they can go upstairs and start dry humping everybody you know last night was no exception so it was late show Saturday 
getting ready for them to start the show, getting pretty psyched up. It was a nice sized crowd. And then uh, a guy just threw up on himself. So obviously he had to be escorted out of the building. And he was kind of baffled as to why he was getting thrown out of uh, not only the comedy club, but the, the entire complex. And uh, they had to explain to him it's a pretty simple rule. If you vomit on yourself, you have to leave. You know, something about over-serving or maybe not killing somebody with alcohol poisoning. But he was pretty, uh, he was pretty baffled by the whole scenario. But uh, it was a real good time. Got to uh, work with two good friends, Stu McAllister and Matt McClowry. Um, did a podcast with both those guys. Um, and they both came out really good. I'm just very funny guys and, and great to chat with. I'm feeling really good about my act right now. I'm trying to work towards uh, taping my fourth comedy album this this fall. I'm not exactly sure where I'm actually going to record it. I was going to record it at Morty's, um, but I had to shift that week because I'm going to go out to Nevada and do a bunch of gigs in Laughlin and stuff. So I'm going to have to try to figure out what club has the ability to tape my sets or I might have to kind of set it up myself. But I'm working on a ton of material right now uh, about being a family man, being a, a father and, and a husband. And I know when when people hear that about a comedian, like they're transitioning into the, the kid material and the family material, they're like, I like dick jokes, I like pussy jokes. You know, it's like... They're all well and good, you know, but my act has always been, I write what I know, and it has to be authentic, and it has to be something that I've experienced. I have a, a real hard time just sitting down and, and manufacturing material out of nowhere. Um, it has to be kind of based on some kind of story or, or real life experience. So I've just been getting inspired by, you know, being a father basically being a stay-at-home father Sundays through Wednesday and then going out back on the road and uh, a lot of people don't know my wife is pregnant again right now and she's uh, due in December which we're really excited about um, and it's it's a, it's a hard thing you know right now because we're just kind of trying to figure out how to get all our ducks in a row you know because Obviously, what's happening right now is just not going to be able to happen after the second baby's here. Like, I'm gone pretty much every Thursday to Saturday for the next two months. And uh, obviously not fair to my wife for her to be home every single weekend with both babies all by herself. I mean, it will be a fucking nightmare. I would lose my goddamn mind if that was uh, what I was going to have to be doing, you know. Um, but yeah, we're just really excited, you know, it's, uh, my wife, when she was younger, they told her that she wasn't going to be able to have kids at all because of a condition she had. So the mere fact that she got pregnant the first time was just a fucking miracle. So, um, the fact that it happened again is pretty insane. So I think we are going to stop at two, um, cause I don't know if we want to outnumber ourselves with three kids. I grew up in a family with three kids and and it was pretty chaotic quite a bit, and uh, my wife grew up in a family of six, but they were kind of spaced out a lot. Like, I, I think the 
the first three came and then there was a huge gap and then the next three came so it was almost like they had two blocks of three you know so uh, that's pretty much what it came down to but you know I I've always wanted to be married always wanted to have a family that was always kind of a, a thing I wanted um I guess I just didn't really see myself as the bachelor laid into my years, you know, I just, um, when I saw my future, I just kind of always saw me married with kids, you know, but it's always a constant, uh, it's hard work, you know, because you want to always keep those lines of communication open, you don't ever want things to, to fester and, and come out in other ways, you know. Like, I used to be kind of like that before I went through some therapy and stuff where if things were bothering me, I would just kind of bury them down until they exploded out in, like, a different area, you know, which is confusing to my wife, obviously, you know, because, you know, like, the littlest thing, I would just explode because it would be, it would be, like, the last straw, but it would be something really stupid, like, you know, uh, I asked her to turn the dishwasher on and she didn't you know and I'd be like god damn it you know and it's just like well that was seven months of things building up and you know it makes people laugh because even when I do get angry I I don't really get that angry I just uh I internalize it more but so I was actually home for almost a month uh before I headed out on these gigs this weekend so it was a little tough, you know. I was kind of getting used to um, being home every day and waking up with my wife and my daughter and stuff. And I think that's the hardest part about being any kind of traveling job, whether it be comedy or a truck driver or something that takes you away for long periods of time. It's like there's, there's a freedom in that, you know, where you get to kind of disconnect for three days and pretend like you know, uh, the, the rough spots at home don't exist, you know, you're just out on the road, and it's hard to enjoy that nowadays, when I know that my wife's home by herself, pregnant, with a two-year-old that's being very spicy right now, so it's, uh, it's a rough, rough time, but I, I tried to, tried to have as much, uh, enjoyment when I'm on the road as I can, you know, I don't, uh, I don't stay out after the shows and drink and party with people. It's a little disrespectful to my wife. You know, she's home cleaning shit off the dog's ass and trying to put the baby to sleep. And, and I'm out like, you know, dancing to techno and having whiskey drinks, you know, it's just kind of a dick move. So I just do my show. I go back to my room and try to write and read and, and, you know, figure out what the hell I'm going to talk about for an hour in the fall on my next comedy album. I did get to go Saturday. I went and I saw Ant-Man. I don't know if you guys have seen Ant-Man, but, uh, it was fucking really good. I, it was so funny to me. Like when they first announced like the phases of the Marvel universe and like the movies that were going to be coming out and all this kind of stuff. And I hadn't really been that big of a fan, or I didn't really ever hear of Ant-Man, the comic books, um, so they started talking about Ant-Man, and I was just like, God, that's got to be the worst fucking superhero movie in the history of the world, why would I ever watch that, 
And then I saw the trailers for it, and I was like, oh, it looks pretty good. And the fact that Paul Rudd was in it, I think he's great. And, you know, they're, we're ramping up towards uh, Captain America Civil War and the Infinity War. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty ingenious thing that Marvel has done now, where it's like they'll release a film about a comic book character... And even if you're kind of like, eh, I don't know if I want to see that one, you almost have to, you know, or you'll feel like you've kind of missed something uh, in the story arc of this entire Marvel Cinematic Universe type of shit that they're doing right now. Um, So obviously the film had uh, a couple extra scenes at the end. Um, If you haven't seen the movie, you know, spoiler alert (laughs) but at the end uh, Michael Douglas who plays uh, Hank Pym uh, he kind of opens a secret room and there's like this new suit that he was working on with his wife and he basically like tells his daughter like I think it's time that you you know take up your mom's uh, uh, mantle and, and carry it on I was a little confused because it kind of looked like the Red Queen outfit, where in some of the comic books, Hank Pym's daughter becomes the Red Queen, which is kind of an offshoot of the Wasp. But um, they've said quite a bit that they want the Wasp to be a part of the Avengers. So I'm, I'm assuming that it's probably she's just going to be the next incarnation of the Wasp. Um but it was, it was just really cool seeing a yellow jacket and, and kind of like the, uh, the old footage of Hank Pym as the Ant-Man. And, um, so then at the very end, after all of the credits, we get to see, uh, Captain America and Falcon are in this like warehouse and they turn and the winter soldier is like in some kind of clamp, like his arm is in a clamp, like they've kind of trapped him, and they're kind of talking about what they need to do next, and Captain America says, well, we can't call Tony Stark because he's working with, and he said some word like, uh, the assigners or the, uh, the amenders or something like that, and, and I didn't really catch on to it, so I literally had to go and look it up and be like, what the fuck did this mean, but... I guess they were hinting that that's that scene that they showed is maybe a little bit into Civil War where they've already started registering the superheroes because that's uh if you don't know that's what the whole story of Civil War is is that um because of the events of Ultron and possibly another like uh catastrophic event they decide that it's the, in the best interests of the world that all the superheroes register their superpowers and reveal their uh, actual identities or something like that. And in the comic books, it's, uh, it's Spider-Man that leads the way. He takes his mask off and says he's Peter Parker and, he's, and he registers and all that shit and um, obviously Captain America is, is completely anti-government and registering of any kind. He wants freedom, so that's kind of where... That's where the whole Civil War happens. So, 
it'll be interesting to see that whole thing shake out. Um, me and Matt, when we did the podcast, we were talking about uh, the DC universe for a while. I guess he is uh, he's a huge DC fan and not a big Marvel fan. I, uh, I'm just a fan of all comic books, you know. I got so jazzed up the other day when I heard that... Because uh, I'd never heard of it before. Because I'm not the biggest comic book fan. Like, I didn't read them as a kid. I just kind of got into the movies and got interested in reading up on the origin stories and stuff of the people and, and how they came to be in the evolutions. I actually lived in college. I lived with a guy who was an inker on Superman, Man of Steel. And he loaned me a book um, called Kingdom Come, I think what, was what it was. And it was this hardcover comic book that was uh, supposedly years in the future when the superheroes have retired and their kids have taken over and there's like no more bad guys to fight. So now they're just like fighting themselves and then the, uh, the older superheroes have to come back and restore order. It was actually pretty cool, but... Uh, so what I got excited about was uh, I was a huge fan of the movie Constantine with uh, uh, Keanu Reeves, and I had no idea that that was actually a comic book. I thought it was just a really good movie. So it turns out that um, with with the Suicide Squad coming out and kind of uh, you know Superman versus Batman's kind of like the Justice League type of thing, they're doing all these. Uh, uh, squad type movies that I guess there's uh, a Justice League Dark that's in the works and apparently Justice League Dark was a comic book series where it was like um, a grouping of superheroes that would handle kind of the underbelly of the world that the regular Justice League didn't want to deal with so it was like um Constantine was the leader, and then there was, like, Frankenstein and some ghost and whatever, and they formed this team called the Justice League Dark, and they, uh, they go around, you know, solving crimes or whatever, but I, I love the, the show Supernatural, it's, like, such a cool show, so I was, uh, pretty jacked up to hear about Justice League Dark, but, me and Matt, we were talking about the different uh, voices of Bane and and Batman and stuff. It was really funny. Um, I'm pretty sure this one's going to come out after the Matt McClory podcast premieres. So if for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the Matt McClory podcast, go back and listen to it because his impressions of Batman and Bane just had me on the fucking floor. People of Gotham, you are here because that... That was my biggest problem with Bane was, you know, I think Tom Hardy really worked hard on doing, like, the Bane voice and the quiet moments with Batman. But I don't know if he did much work on how to how to scream as Bane. Because, like, in the quiet moments, it was, like, a really cool voice, you know, where it was, like, under the city in the dark cave, and it's him and Batman, you know, and he's just like, you know, Batman, you've underestimated me. And then when he's giving a speech to a giant crowd outside, he sounds like a fucking vaudeville act. Ah, people of Gotham! So I did that on Saturday. Had uh, a couple podcasts and uh, wrote some jokes. 
And uh, pretty much all the shows were fun this weekend. Um, Dr. Grin's is always an interesting club. I remember, I remember being there one time where um, there was a lady who was loving life, like loving the show and just laughing and laughing and laughing. But she had kind of a weird laugh. Her laugh was like really loud and it was really piercing. And if, if you didn't know her and you were kind of looking in from the outside, you would, you would be like, that is a fake laugh. Like she's just being an asshole. Because it was like every joke and she was like... <laughs> And, like, the whole crowd was just like, what the fuck is happening? And I was like, if she's having a good time, who cares if the laugh sounds fake? But people were having a real problem with it. So the feature act went up and obviously made light of it. He's like, man, you have a really interesting laugh, you know. And then she laughed again. And he's like, man, you really get fired up with that laugh, don't you? And they went back and forth for a while. But people were still getting upset that she was laughing in such a weird way. So when I went on stage, um, I, I was, I felt, I felt a little lost because Chad, the feature act had already talked to her a bunch. So it's like, I can't really talk to her now because it'll look like I'm copying him. So it's like, I have to kind of just do what I'm going to do and hopefully it doesn't get worse. So I did like three or four jokes and she's still laughing the way she laughs. And then this lady in the front row starts laughing just like her and I went oh god we don't have another one do we and she said no I'm mocking her because I hate her fucking face and I went whoa what the hell I go the the audience members are heckling each other and then the lady that was laughing weird she was like why don't you shut your fucking mouth and she's like fuck you stop laughing so weird And I'm just like, this is the craziest argument I've ever been a part of. Stop laughing so weird. People laughing is weird in and of itself. You know, there's all different kinds of laughs. Just because her laugh doesn't conform to your idea of what a laugh should be. Like, I I didn't understand it in the least. And obviously, after that, it got really awkward in the entire room. Uh, My set was kind of rough. And after the show, there was some words between her and some of the other audience members and of course after that whole thing went down I did my entire set and she didn't make a sound she just sat there for my whole set and didn't laugh once I was like the silence is deafening you know and there was another time that I worked at Dr. Grin's which is kind of funny story Um, I was booked to feature there and the headliner canceled so in my brain I was like oh this is cool maybe I'll have an opportunity to finally headline Dr. Grins. And then it turned out that they just brought in a different headliner from Los Angeles at the very last minute. And I was like interested to understand why this guy would come to Dr. Grins on a drop of a hat. Cause he lived in LA and I, and he confided at me in the, at the end of the week that his plane ticket from Los Angeles to Grand Rapids was like $1,200. And he said that's pretty much what they were paying him was 1200 bucks. But he had just um, got a role in Transformers and he was voicing uh, the Insectabots in the second Transformers, I think. And he was, he was convinced that, that this part in Transformers was fucking gonna 
put him over the top. Like he, no one, no one wasn't going to know his name after like the premiere of the movie. So he had just done, he put together a, a comedy DVD really quick that he could sell after the shows, getting ready for the, the explosion in his career. Um, and if people don't know Dr. Grins for whatever reason, people don't really buy that much merchandise after the show. It's just one of those towns where, um, I wouldn't say that they're cheap, but they just, they're not souvenir town people, you know? So we're driving to the show and he's got this big box of DVDs on his lap and he's like, man, we are gonna, I'm gonna kill this. This is gonna be great. I can't wait to get all this money in my pocket, blah, blah, blah. So we do five shows that weekend. The first show he gets done and uh, he doesn't sell anything, but it was kind of a smaller show, so he wasn't that concerned. So then we get to Friday and we do two shows and uh, we find out from the, the manager that Friday and Saturday there's going to be some kind of giant free country concert downtown and our numbers on the shows were just brutal like between Friday and Saturday four shows we had a total of like 100 people so obviously uh, this guy from LA he sold like one DVD and uh I was driving him back to the hotel after the last show and he's got his check and he still has this giant box of DVDs on his lap and uh, he just looks so defeated as we're headed back to the hotel and he's just shaking his head and he goes, man, did I make a huge mistake? He goes, I fucking lost money on this gig. Why would I even come out here? And I was like, yeah, I tried to tell him like, you know, I'm like, they should have just brought in a local guy or whatever and save the money, you know, because I, I kind of figured with like four days notice that it would be a really expensive plane ticket. And that's when he told me the prices and stuff. And, and it happens, you know, that's the hardest part about uh, kind of factoring in merchandising to your, to your yearly income. Because um, nine times out of 10, you can't, uh, you can't count on it, you know, you'd like to count on it, you know, you'd like to be, well, I will, I, I'm pretty much always going to make $300 a week selling t-shirts, but it's not that way, you know, and I think that's a part of the fun of, like, selling shit after the show, because some weeks, um, it's a couple hundred bucks, and then sometimes you go places, and for whatever reason, it's your first time there, or they don't get that much entertainment there, it's like, insane like you saw like 450 bucks in one night you know it's it's addicting because it's just like you do those one-nighters they're basically paying you like 200 bucks in a hotel to do the gig and then you sell like another 400 dollars in t-shirts it's like you just tripled your money um and you weren't even prepared for it so you're like holy shit i got all this extra cash now but it's just depressing on the other end when you're depending on that money and then you don't sell anything, you know. I used to be, uh, I used to be beholden to the merch sales. And I feel like I've finally gotten out of that cycle. Like, it still kind of bothers me if I have a really good set and I don't sell anything after the show. Because you kind of take it a little personal that, that they're not 
taking a souvenir with them because you're like, oh, you, you liked it, but not enough to take a souvenir home, you know? So, <clears throat> but in the early days, like, of me selling stuff, it used to get really bad. Like, I would have an amazing set and then not sell anything and just go sit in my room and be depressed for hours. And I just had a revelation one day, like, this really isn't how it should be, you know? If you have a good set, you had a good set. You should be excited about that. And the selling t-shirts is just the extra little thing on the side. But it's hard for some guys to separate those two things out because they, you know, it's like Christmas vacation with Chevy Chase where the guys at his work depend on their Christmas bonus as part of their salary. And then the guy decides that he's not going to give Christmas bonuses anymore and everybody wants to jump off a ledge. And it's kind of the same way with comedy. If you sell t-shirts for long enough, it just becomes a part of the money that you make every year. And uh, when it doesn't go your way one week, it's, it's kind of depressing on the way home. But it is nice to have the credit card swipers now and the internet sales and stuff like that. And, and it all helps out to, you know, to make that extra money. But... Uh, had so much fun at Dr. Grin's. Uh, this week I'm going to be at uh, the Holiday Inn in Spring Lake, Michigan, and at uh, Wisecrackers Comedy Club in uh, Maryville, Indiana. So if you live anywhere near those two places, come out and see a show, and uh, we can chat. And you better be, you better buy a goddamn T-shirt, is what I'm saying, because I got another baby on the way, <clears throat> and I need to buy some damn Pampers. Okay. You can always get the podcast at iTunes and Podbean and Stitcher and all that jazz. And uh, check out largedrunkman.com for all the update date uh, tour dates for me on the road. And you can also get to uh, my podcast and my live streaming radio station from there and all my albums on iTunes. And uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. And tune in next time when we talk about who knows. <laughs>